All right, welcome to Grizzle Pod, episode 14. Scott Wills, Tom George, we are Grizzle. Great to, I hope everyone had a great week. Um, first of all, we got to thank our wonderful, wonderful sponsor, Ycharts. Uh, they slay fundamentals like nobody in the business. Right at your fingertips, give it to you. We love Ycharts. It helps me do my job better and faster. It's visual. You can get all the fundamental data you need, just like on a Bloomberg. So Ycharts gets it done for us. Boom, boom. Um, Scott, what's our agenda today? We got a big one. Ooh, I'm excited about this agenda. So number one, we got to talk about Tesla. If, if you weren't following the news, they flip-flopped on accepting Bitcoin only. So they said three months ago they'd accept Bitcoin. Now they're saying, no, no, uh-uh-uh. We think there's something else going on behind the scenes. So we're going to talk about that. And then we got to talk about growth stocks because not every growth stock is created equal. And to illustrate that, we're going to look at ARK ETF, Tesla, and Shopify. And then next, we had a big earnings week for pot stocks. If you haven't gotten into the sector yet, we're going to answer the question for you. Is there still value? Is there still upside? And tell you how the earnings went. And lastly, we got to talk about the global housing bubble. We thought it was just U.S. We thought it was just Canada. Uh-uh. It looks like it's everywhere. So we're going to take you through some of the different indicators and what it may mean. Oh, Scott, so, I, got, uh, I got an extra bonus one, too. So smack Ooh. talk on Furus. Uh, just a little special bonus because because it's not a grizzle pod unless I'm, you know, we got to talk. Smack. I was just going to say that. What, <laughs> what grizzle pod doesn't have some smack talk? It yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, it's, it's in, you know, you know, you know how I love the furus out there. They're charging $199 for their trading tips. They're like little cockroaches and you're trying to turn the light on. It's scary. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an NFT, Scott, with all the blocks from these furus. One day, one day it's going to be, it's going to be worth a lot. <laughs> That'll be awesome because well, they'll be long gone. So the only way to remember them will be with NFTs. SEC, I submit my NFT <laughs> with every, with every cockroach that you didn't freaking shut down for the last 10 years. The, the SEC should be buying your NFTs. I'll just yeah, say. exactly. It would help them do their job. <laughs> oh man! So, uh, well, speaking of uh, speaking of chaos, uh, you know, and, and so the most polarizing character, right, Mister Elon Musk, right? And this is one of those guys. Uh, now, if you're part of the, uh, if you're in the world of financial Twitter, there's this whole Tesla Q world of people who hate on Elon and view him as a fraud and. You know, it's a very deep web. And uh, he's, so, a, he's a polarizing figure, I'd say. You can find just as much hate as love. Exactly, exactly. And so you got this thing. And, you know, Scott and I are just even kill guys. Like, you know, I'm like, listen, you know, you can't like this guy's done some amazing things, whatever. But there's this block list that there's on Twitter. So I'm blocked from these guys who uh, they, they don't even they can't like I can't even see tweets from certain. You people. must have said one too many nice things about Elon Musk. I said, <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> Like, you're blocked, but I'm not blocked. So actually, for Tom, I tell him what's going on in that in that, that ecosystem. Oh man, what what losers, man! I you know, it's, but so that's that's a little background on Elon. That was a classic short sellers versus you know people who believe in a distant you know future where Elon is like the you know the orbit. But things changed dramatically when he accepted Bitcoin, right, Scott? Like that kind of he he almost merged another world together uh, with Tesla. Like that was a game changer. That legitimized Bitcoin really more than lots of things. So that's yeah. so he single-handedly drove Bitcoin up quite a bit when he announced that. That was now three months ago. But then last week he came out with this kind of just tweet, and then I guess they press release it saying we're no longer accepting Bitcoin. 
because it pollutes too much. Well, you know what? It polluted three months ago and it pollutes now. So that's why I'm very skeptical. And I think there might be another reason. But well, first, let's just let's talk about the Bitcoin price. What's happened because of what he did? Yeah, pull that up. But yeah, it it you know I think you said it, Beth. You just like it's kind of like this is just too convenient. Like at the end of the day, it's not a very complicated thing. You know, it's a majority of its mined in China, and surprise, surprise, in China, it's lots of coal. Like Scott, that's it. Doesn't take a rocket scientist, and he's a rocket scientist. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's too smart. <laughs> to be confused three months ago about this whole thing. For anyone who's not familiar with this, it all comes down to, remember, Bitcoin has to be mined on computers. And what? where is the power being generated from to power the computers? If it's coal, then the more Bitcoins are created and the more coins show up and the more people use the whole system, you're burning more coal. So not good for the planet. So that was his argument for why he got out. But that was still going on three months ago, right? So th- yeah. that isn't really, he's too smart for that. And then the other potential is that he just wanted to pump Bitcoin up because Elon Musk saying Tesla likes Bitcoin is going to drive the price up. Then he sells, then announces he's not in it anymore. That also seems too simplistic, like just to kind of, you know, now he's enemy number one for a lot of Bitcoin people and crypto people. So that wasn't worth it. So it got me thinking, could someone have been putting pressure on him behind the scenes that Tesla shouldn't be accepting Bitcoin. You can't be doing this. Was it regulators? Was it, remember, he gets these regulatory credits from the government. Mm-hmm. Could it be someone in the government saying, if you want to keep these regulatory credits, you better stop accepting Bitcoin. It's unregulated. Like, we don't like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. opinion, Tom. Yeah, I think I think what you're stating there is, is could, could very well be the fact, like, i.e., you know, wait a minute, you know, your whole business is based on, on government subsidies or, you know, a huge part of it. And, you know, you, you know, you can't all really your go. profits. So the mm-hmm. last few years, accounting wise, he's showed positive earnings. Yeah. And that's all because of these credits. If he wasn't selling these credits to other car companies that needed the credits because they don't have as much, many electric vehicles, he wouldn't have shown positive earnings. That's a much different story for the stock. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, and then, then there's the other narrative too, Scott, that uh, you probably killed the chart. The, the other narrative is so obviously, so then, you know, Bitcoin gets dinged. And the other narrative too is like, okay, well, then this, like, this Doji coin thing, is it just a big, like, is this a, is this the mother of all memes or is like, you know, cause then he tweeted, Hey, listen, I'm working on some develop, working with some developers on Doji coin, like the whole thing. And so Scott, I got to tell you, I went down the rabbit hole for the last three, four days with lots of drinks in hand. Uh, so at the end of the day, uh, uh, somehow I follow these like Dogecoin uh, uh, fundamentalists. Uh, so I go to these uh, Twitter spaces, which is the equivalent of Clubhouse, which is basically like a pop in uh, audio listen thing. Scott, I mean, I thought it should be like jokes, man. You know what I mean? End of the day, well, let's have a laugh. Let's talk Dogecoin. They're serious, man. They're serious. It's like there was like there was a woman from Nigeria. She's like all praises, dude. Doji coin. There's this other dude like saying the death of Bitcoin. And I'm like, what? What am I? This is like some alternative universe. What, was there any meat to what they were talking about, or they're just saying Doji coin is the future? No, hard no, stop. What, no, one guy was like serious, like you know, just like you know, it was. It was. I felt like I was in kind of a religious, like kind of. <laughs> you went to church. You didn't know what the Doji church. <laughs> and I was like, what's going? And so you know what, like you know, you kind of have to go down these rabbit holes a little bit. But if if you seriously think you're taking Dogecoin, like you know, which ultimately, uh, I think panning back, uh, those that are bearish Bitcoin will say, "See, we told you." 
anyone can create a coin and create value, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that that kind of is, it's an interesting thing. I, you know, I, I'm not certain how this all ends, Scott, but I think what, from what that point that you made, it, you know, did, did he get tapped? Very likely. Uh, but we'll find out soon, depending on how far he takes this Doji coin, right? And ultimately, he's creating the Elon coin, right? More or less. Yeah. And you always have to wonder what's Elon Musk and what's Tesla. The whole Bitcoin thing was maybe it was his idea, but it was through Tesla. This Dogecoin has been mainly his kind of pet project because Tesla has nothing to do with it. He just keeps tweeting about it. He's yeah. meeting with people. So it'll be interesting where he takes it. And does he get the same level of scrutiny if it's just him and yeah. it's not a major corporation getting involved? Oh, sorry. Need to, ha- having to bring a full circle um, be- before we were talking about how he was a polarizing character. You have the short seller, Scott. But now you have the Bitcoiners, maximalists, now hating on him. It's crazy. So it's like, actually, we've added a new layer of hate. <laughs> he was the godfather. and He's been cast out of heaven now. <laughs> <laughs> Except if you go to these Doji coin church things, which are really great. I yeah. recommend everyone do it. Every coin is their own god. <laughs> so, it's, it's like it's like ancient Greece or something where you had all those gods. Yeah, totally. Well, so it, it's a good point. Now, really looking at so Scott, I did this. Uh, you know, we Scott and I were doing some work looking at Tesla versus other growth stocks, and we're talking about Arc. And you know, the, Arc is so central right now, Scott. Like we can't emphasize it enough. This is this is basically where. How would you? T- categorize this guy like basically this is kind of the nerve the nerve right now which is basically where growth is going right growth yeah it's it's the nerve center of growth and speculative growth and so if you can watch arc etf and kind of know a lot about what the market is is doing what the sentiment of retail traders is everything so it's like everything's revolving around arc so we love looking at it versus other things yeah and just tracking it in general exactly and so one thing that should become, uh, you know, very apparent is that ARC is invariably linked to Tesla. So a huge part of ARC's rise has been because of what Tesla did last year. I think, yeah, I think you you have a nice chart on it that just shows how how linked they become, and they already were, but it's gotten even yeah. worse. Yeah. So. so, so this is a great chart that. So basically, I'll talk through it, guys. So what we look at is historical correlation of. Arc versus Tesla, right? It's classic mathematical. And correlation yeah. is just if one stock moves a dollar up, if the if another stock moves a dollar up too, their correlation is one. Yeah. If stock A moves up a dollar and stock B doesn't go anywhere, then there's zero correlation. That's and so the the higher the number is towards one, it just means two stocks move together. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Correlation is really great because it allows you to then say, okay, listen, I, I want to figure out where ARC is going, but if it has a high correlation to this, which is Tesla, um, then, you know, I should know, I should have a view on Tesla. And it less. tells you you're not diversified. So you may own five stocks and think because I have five instead of one, I'm diversified. If one goes up, one goes down. But if your correlation's one between all of them, you're not diversified at all. It's basically like you own one stock. So it's, it's a metric that professional investors use a lot yeah. to make sure that they're not even if they have 50 stocks, it's not really like they're betting on one thing. Exactly. And, and so so what what this chart shows is historically, uh, te- ARC and Tesla have, have had a correlation of 0.5. Okay? So Which that's still high. Like, yeah. so if, if Tesla goes up a dollar, ARC goes up 50 cents, still kind of moving together. 
Well, then that's that, that you, so it's, it's kind of, you know, like in, in correlation measures, it's, so correlation just measures like how closely the movement's linked. Then there's beta too, Scott. So that beta is that, true, you know, how, how, how torqued you are. Right. So what, what this says is, you know, after COVID something crazy happened, basically you had this, like, you know, when the, all the stocks bubbled back after COVID, Scott, basically the correlation of ARK and Tesla became almost like verging towards one. So it got to like 0.67 or call it 0.7. Okay. And got super high there. And the, the crazy thing is because you, you like, then the, then the other question is, well, is ARK more levered to Tesla or less? In fact, it's slightly less it in the last, in year to date, uh, Tesla, uh, Arc has had a beta of 0.7 to Tesla. Okay. So coming back to that, every 1% Tesla moves, Arc would move 0.7%. Okay. And what I bet what happened in during the coronavirus is the correlation among lots of stocks went higher. So everything was kind of moving together. We've seen more decoupling with growth and value stocks kind of moving in different directions. But we still see that Tesla and ARK are pretty intertwined right now. Like they're still at 0.67, which is way higher than it was pre-pandemic. Well, yeah. And and so interesting enough, that 0.67, that's just like a trailing like six months, Scott. I looked at the what's happened in the last, uh, like just the last three months, right? Basically, we're at 0.8 now. So it's getting higher and higher. So they're both selling off, which is funny. They're selling off together. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so, so they're still just as intertwined as they have been. Totally. And so you're, you're seeing this like classic, just, you know, basically the, the ARC trade is now merging with the uh, the Tesla trade. So now let's get to fundamentals, Scott. Now, talk through this because I think this is fascinating. Yeah. So it's important to understand that if you just look at growth versus value, it, it's nice to show a trend, but there's lots of different pockets where there's things that may be valuable right now and have sold off too much. Not everything's a Tesla, not everything's an ARC. We think Shopify, which is people call it the baby Amazon, is a really good example to compare to Tesla. What we've done here is we've shown the price to sales multiple over the next 12 months for both. So this is expectations. This isn't what's already happened. And it's very it shows two different stories. So looking at Tesla, before the pandemic, Tesla was at Five it looks times. like it was two and Five. a half. Uh, so yeah, I've got the exact number. So so right before the pandemic, we call it January, mm, like oh, January. Yeah. So it's right before the pandemic. It was it was a uh, five five x price to sales. Okay. And then basically, we're, and it got as high as nearly twenty, Scott. And now we sit sit at ten. So it's still double where it was pre pandemic. And remember, the multiples are intertwined with the cost of borrowing money interest rates. Interest rates are back to where they were pre-pandemic. So you could argue that multiples should be going back to where they were, but yet Tesla's multiple is still double. And And now Shopify is a lot different. So Shopify also had a big increase in multiple. It was at so I, I got the number, Scott. Okay. So pre-COVID, it was at 27. And then you saw it shoot up all the way to 50, right? So like, the, like you know, but middle of 2020, it got as high as 50 times. But re- remember here, there's a big difference between Tesla and um, and Shopify. Shopify grew revenue 100%. Yeah. And so where we stand today on a forward price to sales multiple, surprise, surprise, Scott, we are actually 26.6. So we're actually below the pandemic, uh, the pre-pandemic multiple for Shopify. And that is a very stark difference to Tesla. 
Yeah. And you could argue that the pandemic changed Shopify in ways that will continue on and on. So Shopify was growing 50 or 40% in 2019. That was expected to fall. Then the pandemic hit and it grew 100% instead. Now analysts are looking for it still to grow 40 to 50%. But think of all the new people that have started Shopify sites That's and right. understand what the company does. So they benefited over the long term. Tesla, for example, the pandemic was not good to Tesla. Car sales fell off a bit. They had to shut down their plants at certain times. So it's not the same story. Plus, you have a stock that's still twice as expensive as it was pre-pandemic. So two stark uh, stories, I think. Very different. Exactly. And and then so just looping this back to ARC completely, just because everyone's like, well, you know, what's the downside to ARC? Well, what we're talking about here is uh, could we see continued downside on Tesla? Sure, we can. We're at 10 times. It was five times pre I'm just saying, listen, we can easily get to 7.5 times. That's 25% downside from here, Scott. And what if you use that uh, that that beta mm-hmm. of, of ARC to Tesla, that means basically a 20% downside in ARC from here. Yeah, so that's, that's the problem. You're like, man, these stocks are off so much. But if you look at the multiples, multiples are very fickle. If the market is still scared about interest rates going up, there's nothing stopping the multiple going down versus earnings are earnings. There's fundamental support there. You can really look at those and say they're growing. So that's why it makes me wary of a lot of growth stocks, but you find little diamonds in the rough, like a Shopify that is the same price it was. Yeah. And and guys, look, we are growth investors. So the point for what we're saying is we think the market is coming towards our view on growth, which is tangible growth. Uh, where you're going to say, okay, well, here's a Shopify. I'm paying the same multiple. Now, everyone can argue is 27 the right multiple, but these businesses are growing incredibly. Like, like it, it, so we can we can have an argument there. But the main point is, am I paying more than I what? Am I getting am I getting the same business at a similar type of multiple than I am pre COVID? And that that's a stark difference to being in Tesla. And so, at the very least, you can say, listen. Within the growth world, there are pockets of uh, what we'd say where where you're getting relative value. Yeah. So if you hear people saying, look at how well Zoom did or look at how well someone did since the pandemic, some of those may still be expensive on multiples, but not all of them are. And so you have to differentiate. And if you can find those ones that are have benefited long term from the pandemic and are at the same price as they were pre-pandemic, that's that's what you're looking for. Exactly. All right, so, so that that's that our Tesla thing. Now, what, what do we got? Pod stocks, Scott. Yeah, we got to talk about pod stocks. Yeah. So a, a bunch of the big bellwethers, there's multi-state operators. Those are the guys in a bunch of different states. They're the biggest U.S. cannabis companies. Those are the ones we look for, uh, look at their earnings to figure out what's going on in the industry. Is growth still there? Is one having problems versus another? Which state looks better than another? You, you get a lot of information from that. So I wanted to, what I'm going to do first is just answer the question for you guys. Are, are pot stocks, is there still an opportunity to get in or has the run already happened? And what do, do, do the multiples look like compared to, say, a few months ago? Yeah, I got a good chart on that. So the bottom line is if you haven't been invested in U.S. pot stocks and you're thinking about it, you still can get in. The stocks had a really nice run once Biden was elected and both the Senate and the House went for the Democrats. But it's given back a lot of those uh, those gains. I think it's actually it's back to just where it was after Biden won the election. So all those gains are off the table, but the stocks are still growing. 
and their profitability still keeps going up. So the chart I have here for you is looking at their multiple uh, enterprise value to EBITDA. Yeah. It's just one way to look at a multiple. There's lots of multiples. And I did it from right, um, August, which was right before, you know, a few months before the election to today. And you can see that none of the stocks are more expensive on multiples because even though they, they've gone up through the election, their earnings have gone up, their revenue's gone up. So that's what you want to see. If you're looking at an industry sell-off, as long as the earnings are holding up and the revenue is still growing, it just means you can get them cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. So this is where value investors would come in or some professional investors who have a long-term view. And they'd say, I don't, I'm not scared because the stocks are going down because I know I'm just picking up some values here. Yeah. like, And this is just one of those where you do get these opportunities in the market where um, where the news where you're basically getting free a free option because the news now you know the news is like the 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 reality happened you know we got Biden you know we're gonna the the world moves forward on cannabis but yet you're getting it at the same multiple when all those things didn't happen yeah and so in that chart it showed that two of the companies Cureleaf and Cresco they're actually thirty percent cheaper than they were prior to Biden winning and think of what a catalyst that was so that would if you were wow. looking back at me like man I could get a discount with all these positive legal catalysts coming through, that's that's a great time to own U.S. cannabis. So U.S. cannabis is not Canadian cannabis. It's a yeah. different market going on. So we still think there's some catalysts with laws being passed that'll move the needle for these big MSOs. So we're still buyers here. Uh, so if you're, if you're watching this industry closely, you can still put some money to work. If you've been watching on the sidelines, it's not too late for you. There's still some good things to come for the industry. It's now, got... One thing I was going to ask you, so sorry, but just one interesting development is the number of ETFs that are now using uh, U.S.-based ETFs that are using the swaps. Yeah, so that's great for U.S. investors. It used to be really hard for you to invest in this trend because, funny enough, the U.S. multi-state operators were only listed in Canada, while yeah. a lot of the Canadian operators were listed in the U.S. But now it's getting to the point where there's a bunch of U.S. cannabis ETFs popping up, and they use swaps to buy those MSOs on Canadian exchanges. So all you need as a U.S. investor, find the ticker, buy it of the ETF. So MSOS is one of them. And then you got exposure. So it's, it's become a lot easier for you to play those big U.S. guys that we think are the leaders and the lowest risk way to play cannabis. The other part too, Scott, is like some diversified funds that are very big now have the option to, to through the swap structure, to, to add exposure to their bigger, bigger, bigger. ETFs. And that's going to be good for all investors because the U.S. MSOs have much better fundamentals than Canada. And a lot of funds that maybe didn't want to be, you know, 100% Canada had to be because that was the only way they could trade it. Yeah. So, so de definitely interesting there. Like, again, you know, the, the cannabis, U.S. cannabis is one area where, where we think the growth, uh, yes, they are growth stocks, but it's not the Teslas of the world in terms of like multiple expansions. Yeah, I mean, the multiples are a lot different. So some of them are at 10 times EVD. But uh, if you look at cyclical businesses, oil companies, they usually don't make any money. So their multiples are not good. A lot of them will trade at 10, right? So that's right. not that expensive for a business making 50% EBITDA margins like TrueLeave. So, I mean, we still think it's attractive and it's just gotten cheaper. Well, yeah, for sure. Um, and then quickly, I'll hit, I'll hit on earnings. We had uh, at least Cureleaf and TrueLeave. Those are two of the big four. They beat on estimates slightly. It was 3 to 7%. And 
And also, Kirleaf, or sorry, Trulieaf announced that they're buying another big operator that had been running out of money harvest, and so they're just ramping up their growth, which is which is a good thing for for Trulieaf. So overall, no big surprises on earnings. But what's good to see is they're still beating on the top line and the bottom line, and they're raising estimates. As long as that's happening, things are moving in the right direction. Yeah. Nice. Uh, now, global housing bubble. This was an interesting chart that CNN produced, uh, basically looking at just – so what we're having right now, Scott, is we have a bubble. Um, and it looks like the- not just in North America. It's across the world. It's across the world. So house prices across 37 countries uh, that that belong to the OECD have rose by 6.7% between Q4 2019 to Q4 2020. The fastest year-on-year growth, Scott, in 20 years. Wow. And that even includes the 0506 housing bubble globally. So that's, that's saying something. That's crazy. So that this is really something profound, right? And this is really a reflection of one of the biggest one of the biggest impacts of COVID-19 is the fact that everyone's if you're in a rich country, i.e. a developed country, your central banks turned on the money printing press. And we went through this in detail uh, in the housing pod. And that would that'd be one of our favorite pods, I think, Scott. Like that was like yeah. we truly did it a deep dive ish and, you know, kind of went through the whole th- the, the thing and said, listen, you got to be bullish housing. And we said, listen, there's a rotation now from stonks to housing, which was basically bang on. Yeah. So if, you, if you're in the market for a house, you're just interested in what's going on with housing prices. You hear about your friends selling their house for 20% above asking or whatever. I would go back and listen to our pod where we just focused on all the trends of why we think that's this housing boom may continue. Yeah, it's uh, it's got legs, and 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 the biggest the biggest thing here is is Scott like central banks are between a rock and a hard place. A, the fact that there's this much housing debt, this is basically people's. You you're basically uh, you got moral hazard, right? You there's nothing you can you can't actually increase interest rates because of the cascade of effects that uh, that it creates. Yeah, so we've gone into depth on this in other pods, but the gist of it is we don't think interest rates are going up. And so that's still bullish for housing because if interest rates go up, the cost of money goes up. It's more expensive to buy a house. Less people could buy a house, vice versa. As it gets cheaper, this is why you've seen housing run so much. Interest rates fell. It became much cheaper to get a mortgage. Everyone ran in. So one aspect of inflation, at least in North America for housing, is lumber. I don't know if you, you got that. that. Lumber has been fun. Uh, yeah. uh, lumber twin. If you go on Twitter, there's a lot of these lumberjack looking guys who trade oh, uh, wood futures. And it's been pretty cool to go into their world and understand what's happening. Amazing. So there, there's another good chart we have just showing that there's interesting things going on in lumber. It's not all that it appears. The price of lumber has been skyrocketing. It usually moves around two to $250 per thousand board feet is the unit it's now at 1650 something like that uh last week but if you look at the price of timber which is remember you grow the tree you then run it through a sawmill and it becomes lumber well timber prices haven't really gone up that much they're actually gone up not at all so lots of trees yeah so that's the thing there's still lots of trees available it's just the sawmills shut down during the pandemic for a bit and now they're playing catch up because we have a housing boom yeah Everyone wants to build houses. I'm actually hearing from LumberTwit, bless their hearts, <laughs> that some of the builders are slowing down now and taking new orders because the price increase has made it hard where they're coming back to potential buyers and saying, oh, this house was 200K, now it's 250. And the buyers are like, oh, what the hell? 
So they're pulling back, maybe buying less lumber for now. That could cool the market off a bit. So we'll have to watch. But this this price level is not sustainable long term. It's just how long does it hang out up in 1500 1600 a, a board foot? Yeah, this is it, this is definitely one of those where okay. So we talked about copper. We talked about you know the 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 other commodities that are structurally there. You, 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 there's a there's a structural inflation that's built in just because you know there hasn't been exploration. Uh, we we got a fantastic uh, YouTube where we talk about copper, the king of commodities. These don't apply to lumber. This is like basically the the mills just need to reopen and you know go. Yeah, it looks like there are some pieces of the economy. We're seeing inflation everywhere, but it's not all the same. It looks like lumber is supply driven. COVID shut down the mills. Yeah. Now there's too much demand versus supply. We're seeing that in some other places too, potentially, you know, pieces of mining. But for example, copper has a much better supply demand outlook that's not related to COVID. So that'll be key to see is most of this inflation transitory or are we just hitting a new level of inflation? Because yeah. that will kind of de- determine what the Federal Reserve does with interest rates. Um. Final topic, Scott. Final topic. Got to leave it with this. Uh, oh, Furu's, yeah. Bonus man. topic. <laughs> and well, Furu is a fake guru. Furu, thus, thus Furu. There's um, someone who tells you, I made it, I turned a dollar into a million dollars this year. Come see how I did it. It only costs you $50 a month. Yeah. In some cases, 200 Scott. So there's. Oh, it's, yeah. Much more expensive than that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this. Uh, well, you know, needless to say, there's. Uh, we're living in the age of a plethora of information everywhere across the board. Uh, and literally, Scott, it's for free everywhere. You know, we're doing this pod, giving it for free. You know what I mean? We're What we're saying is, listen, the, the access to information is unbelievable. This this idea that there are these um, magical routes to millions um, that – that only a trader with no uh, risk. You could you could turn a dollar into a million without any risk. You lose it all. Unfortunately, not the case. No, not the case. And um, what's something special about Twitter? You know, folks who, who aren't on Twitter that are listening to the pod, it's very important to know there are people with uh, hundreds of thousands of followers, Scott, that are running uh, basically these paid uh, trading rooms or whatever you want to call them, like you know, trading tips. Uh, and they charge this, this one character in particular, Trader Stewie. Um, Scott, this is unbelievable. Like in, in the real world, this doesn't happen. So he's like, he's tweeting about his stocks. It's fine, fine, fine. But then he, he's like, listen, you know, he's got his trading room, which basically he's got like, let's call it, let's do the numbers here. He's got 200,000 followers plus, and he's got 2,000 people that are paying $200 per month. Wow, two hundred a month is high. Which is which is like so like like bottom line is you know this guy's making you know quite a lot of money right four to five million a year. Um, but the crazy part here is Scott that he doesn't have his full name out there. It's just like like this is these are red flags, people. You know what yeah. I mean? Like like you're going you're paying traders Dewey Institute. Like are you like are you literally like do a head check? Are you that dumb? You want people you you if you're gonna pay someone, you at least want to know their first and last name, Scott. I think so that- they can't just run away, right? If things go wrong or they just stop putting out new content. How do you find him then? Well, if he's not even, you don't even know who he really is. Well, that's right. And so he goes, anyways, he, he basically, this is a classic thing when people have rooms or all this garbage. Uh, they, whenever the market gets a little too, uh, too hot, uh, you know, th- their stocks go down, they disappear, Scott. And, and it's always like, you know, some accident happened, family. And I'm not saying, listen, you know, uh, stuff happens to people. But I, uh, but I'm, but you know, the correlation. I'm going to talk correlation again between the markets going down and some sort of calamity in their life is very high. 
I bet if you looked at number of tweets from these furus versus stock performance, you'd see a little. Uh, oh, they're, they're a little linked. Well, one hundred percent. And so the people in his room uh, that, that have been paying two hundred two hundred dollars uh, per month uh, are like, "What the heck?" He basically went uh, like MIA, missing in action. Yeah, and you you got to be pumping out content if you're charging people two hundred dollars. Well, like, exactly. And listen, you know, like, so here, so basically he's got this tweet saying, it's very disappointing to see a couple of traders whom I respected uh, trying to spread rumors and gossip about me after, uh, after taking time off to, on Twitter to be with my family. What, like, okay. What, what, what's very good timing, sir, that this coincided <laughs> with a, a market sell-off. Uh, totally. And, very sorry uh, to hear uh, that. Uh, my, my reply is markets go up, markets go down, wear it both ways, especially if you're charging $200 per month for trading tip service, right? Being anonymous go and ghosting paying members in a, you know, in a bear market for your own stocks is a classic racket, Scott. This is like, this, this is, and this is what we're seeing in Twitter, what we're seeing across the internet. You know, when you watch a YouTube video, Scott, how many of those things are, you, you get this trading guru coming before one of our videos. Don't It's, mo like, it's mostly those, those ads still. Yeah, it's it's so it's unbelievable. It's un I just don't know why the SEC hasn't just clamped down on all this garbage. Yeah. So for everyone out there, you just want to be careful because best case scenario, he's giving you advice that's not good, so you're not going to make money. Worst case, these guys buy things first, tell you about them, so you'll get in, and then they sell back to you at a higher price, and so they're not actually they don't actually believe in the company. So yeah. there's, there's a lot of that tomfoolery going on. It, it usually doesn't end well for us, the the retail investor. No, no, yeah, like should, like if anyone's trying to tell you that they've got the magic formula, um, you know, you know who has the magic formula, Scott, is is the George Soroses of the world. <laughs> you know, SAC Stevie Cohen is the magic formula, and he's not charging you four hundred dollars a month. He won't even accept your money. So that's how you know, right? If someone was turning a dollar into a million and could do it again, they would not be charging you any money. They no, wouldn't they, even be on on social. They should be they, making tons of money. They'd have a billion under management. Um, you know, they would have retired to St. Kitts or something. Yeah, the way they make money is through through these membership fees. I mean, that's just the whole. You know, and again, we we always just talk about it because it's it's such it, the human human nature to want to uh, do shortcuts, and that's really what it is, Scott. If you, hu humans have this tendency to fucking want to buy lotto tickets. Yeah. To want to to want to find shortcuts, you have to do everything in your power to fight that instinct because there are no shortcuts in life. There's no shortcuts in like in investing. It just takes hard work and uh, getting to it. And it's not hard to get started instead of your portfolio to win. Investing really is a gift if you just do the most basic things. Which over time we're going to tell you, you know, how we set up a portfolio, how you set up your four hundred one k retirement account if you're in the U.S. You just do small things. You can set and forget it. And you're going to be able to retire earlier. You're going to have a lot more money. Yeah. You don't need to sh get rich in the next year or lose it all. You don't have to go that way. No, no, no. And and you know and like you know, so just a just it's a it's a advisory warning. Uh, if you're one of the two thousand paying traders, Stewie, uh, give yourself a head check. Uh, get out of Save the. Save your two hundred dollars and invest it in stocks. Exactly. Not that he's recommending. <laughs> yeah, you know, buy it, Apple, it, buy uh, Microsoft <laughs> Visa. And I, but I, but I, I, I did reply to someone. I'm like, well, the one thing Crater Stewie does understand is free cash flow. <laughs> Those subscription fees. Woo. Sure yeah. Uh, well, guys, that was a fantastic pod. Always great, uh, great fun. Um, we'll be back at it next week. That was a uh, Gristle Pod episode 14.
Thanks for tuning in, everyone. See you next time.